You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. I cannot fix it, Captain. I'm having technical difficulties. And that's real Alan. life. <laughs> Alan Seiler. <laughs> Two Cardassian vodkas. I, I, I forgot to bring my notes with me. Two Cardassian <laughs> vodkas and a dagger on the mind on the rocks. Oh, wait. It's only it's already 8 p.m. Ugh. Made her make it three shots. <laughs> and ah, Veronica Nashville. <laughs> Hi. I want to try a dagger of the mind on the rocks. Right? I want, I want to know what that recipe. is. I think yeah. we need to, next time we have a, a booze up as a yeah. live show, we need to invent our own version of go. it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's kick it off with some Star Trek news, Alan. Okay. Well, there is a, a news story that you posted very, like, an hour whatever ago that i have not seen yet so let's start with that one kick that off yeah they've announced some of the details of the collab between star trek and kid cuddy the collab kicks off october the 12th at new york comic-con with a new single a Fortnite gaming experience and a capsule streetwear collection and um they've posted some preview photos of looks like kid cuddy in various uh, star trek uh mirror mayhem like game footage uh, kind of thing, as well as an image of, uh, I mean, it looks kind of like a Letterman jacket, but purple and blue with some Star Trekky stuff on it. It's as part of the collab, as as the kids say. <laughs> 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 I feel silly saying collab. I don't know. What's a collab? Yeah, it's collaboration. a collaboration. But that's what they're calling a collaboration. Is a collab? It's been called collab forever. That's a, been up for a long time. Yeah, I've That's never heard it called a collab. <laughs> that sounds like I a laboratory. I don't yeah. feel bad because Veronica's way younger than me, and she hadn't heard of it. So I don't. <laughs> I don't. But to be fair, I also don't pay attention to any of that stuff. Yeah, hey, man, like, we've 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 got to be courting youth culture, or our show's going to just die off the vine. Just yeah, just like, and it, <laughs> it looks like his um his single. It, it has the title of the single. Let me get back to it. Uh, well, the, the the whole project is called Boldly Be. Live mm-hmm. long and rage. Yeah, no, that's no, the mantra. That's the mantra. Hmm. Yeah, I love uh, Heaven's Galaxy is what it's called. It's Interesting. Never heard first song from his new album Insano, um, and that's coming off in just a few weeks. So, wow. Yeah, I mean, this the Star Trek has done this kind of thing before. Rihanna had a mm-hmm. Star Trek Beyond single. I mean, back in the day, Sean oh, Cassidy yeah. had a Star Beyond Time. Um, <laughs> oh my you know, god i had mean, not mr. remembered that right mr i think i love you that guy <laughs> no yeah, that's yeah david cassidy oh there you go that's david his brother cassidy. but um <laughs> oh, I can, oh which, which okay which one was which now now lost. yeah sean sean cassidy had a star beyond time which i mean basically oh. it was ilea's theme from the motion picture with lyrics okay um I mean, they've they've been trying to make Star Trek cool for a while. It hasn't worked yet, but they're they're you know why not try again? Maybe Kid Cudi's got the secret ingredients. Right on. Yeah, they keep trying to make Star Trek happen. That's right. Yeah, what do you have? Leonard Nimoy, movies, Alan? Leonard Nimoy had the Battle of the Bilbo Baggins. Nothing. There you go. That. There you go. Um, 
Oh, hang on. Patrick Anderson informs us that Sean Cassidy was one of the Hardy Boys. Okay. He certainly was. Oh, I don't yes. remember what the other boy was called, but <laughs> it was that it was Sean Cassidy and somebody. I don't even know. Um, and then Patrick Stewart has a bio that's coming out. And if you haven't seen an article posted somewhere on the internet that quotes from the book and, and basically tells the whole story of one of the chapters from the book and every news service has picked up a different something from this book and That's like ran awesome. with it. I mean, it is, it's like really lit, you know, uh, media on fire. So, you know, look for that. It's coming out. I don't even know when sometimes it's out now it's uh, it came out on audible. Oh, yeah. did it? Oh, okay. Yeah. So the I think the book is out there now. So yeah. it came out on the fourth on yeah. Tuesday with Patrick oh, Stewart yes, as the narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, uh, so it's got a couple of guest voices in it. Okay. And he did a he did a big um, release party, like a big interview thing with Whoopi Goldberg. Awesome. Yay! Right. So that's pretty cool. So go yeah. if you're waiting for Santa to bring you something Trekkie for Christmas. This might be the thing. There you go. Unless Put you it on your list. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then our last thing, and and I might have to, I, I might rant about this for a second. So bear with me. <laughs> Mike McMahon calls on fans to help keep Star Trek Lower Decks from facing the same fate as Prodigy. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, so he has this quote, and he says, we're in weird times. Everything is changing. I think everything's going to continue to change. I would say nothing is safe. I don't have any bad news for anybody, but also I think you shouldn't assume that this stuff is going to stick stick around unless you vocally cheer it on and watch it early. I do not know if we're going to have another season after the season we're working on right now, which is season five. Lower Decks could very well be a five season show. Well, buddy, I've got news for you. Just because you're working on season five doesn't mean you're going to have a season five. (laughs) (laughs) Was in the can. In the can. It was in the latter part of post-production. Everything was done and they threw it in the bin so don't you think that your season five is safe buster right so and okay so here's my rant so i have been a a a champion of paramount plus i know they do stupid stuff sometimes in their marketing and things like that and i call them out on it but at the same time i was like a day one adopter of cbs Mm -hmm. all access because i was like here we finally have a home for Star Trek, and not only a home to sort of collect all of the legacy shows, but they promise new content as well. And then we moved from that into, I remember the first time that we we kind of realized we posted here and we mentioned it on one of our episodes a long time ago, a couple of years ago, that we had one show on television and like three more in production. And mm-hmm. we hadn't had a, a season of Star Trek like that, in, you know, in ever. Right. Yeah. And so here we have had this place where Star Trek had found a home. It was in a safe space. It was going to be nurtured. It was going to be developed. It was going to be furthered. And I swear to God, after however many years this has been, four or five, whatever it is, six years of supporting these people, they are pulling the rug out from uh, Prodigy. They've already gotten rid of that. They like retroactively canceled 
discovery. So mm -hmm. to the point where they had to pull people back to Toronto or um, Vancouver and reshoot scenes so that they could make the last episode, the last episode. And right. now Mike McMahon is like, Hey, if you, if you guys don't watch my show, it might get canned too. So what the heck is going on with Star Trek and why aren't we in a place they built this stupid brand, their streaming platform on Star Trek. Yeah. And now it's like they don't give a crap about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's my rant. There you go. Yeah. And it, it's, it sucks that we're in a position where the creator of the show during like halfway through the season of his of his show is having to say, please watch the show so they don't cancel us, too. Yeah. Right. Because we're not 100 percent that season five will even come or that we might find out in three weeks that, well, Lower Decks is off the, off the streaming. Yeah, we yes. got we got a tax break Surprise. and Lower Decks is in the can. You know, <laughs> uh, it's it's really frustrating. And like you said, yeah. like we were watching CBS All Access when no one else in the world knew what that was. Yeah, right. We were subscribed right. to watch like day day one. As yeah. soon as they made it available, I put my money down. Yeah. So, right. you know what? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm going to. Hmm? I'm sorry. I think it goes back to something we talked about several times on the show, which was when they first pitched re reviving Star Trek. Les Moon Moonviz um, was vocally, vocally against it. He thought it was a stupid idea, it was a dumb idea, and he hated it. And only when he saw the first numbers come in and the profit did he really get behind it. And, you know, people always will tell you cynically and sometimes sarcastically, it's a business. That's why they call it show business. I think what we're seeing in this modern era of track more and on so much and streaming, frankly, the streaming model is we're seeing so much more of a focus on cynical business mm -hmm. and numbers more than even a loyalty to the brand. And I think that's what we're getting here. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I think it's going to bite us um, because, as you say now, they'll get enough in the can. And remember back in the day, enough in the can used to be a hundred episodes for a broadcast television series. And now enough in the can, maybe one or two seasons on streaming and then they're done. And as you said, Charles, it's, it's a new world because I have never heard of the idea of canceling something and not only canceling it, but literally almost pulling it from existence as a way mm -hmm. to save money. I know we know it's popular. The whole show of the producers was about that. But mm -hmm. it, it's just a new, it's just a new world of Star Trek, um, and it's it's very scary. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but I will say that if you think I was mad when they canceled Prodigy, do it to yeah. Lower Decks. Yeah, uh, and right. Yeah, a whole different level. Yep. Oh, that's the truth. That yes. is true. You know, because at least that happened after we'd only seen one season. Mm -hmm. This yeah. we're four seasons in and we are like super invested in this show, right. these characters mm -hmm. and yeah. their writers and creators. Right. Yeah. Yes. So keep it up, Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, you're about to have a revolt on your hands. Uh, Keith, do we have some This Week in Trek this week? Yeah, we're definitely going to look back now talking about getting nostalgic for the old days. Um, but this is really interesting. The 2nd of October, 1984, Star Trek was awarded what's called a design patent. And I had to look it up, the difference between a design patent and a copyright. A copyright, strictly speaking, means no one can straight up copy whatever you've created. A design okay. patent is a little bit more flexible so that people can not only copy exactly what you did, but they can't produce something that's similar to what you did. Anyone care to guess what the design patent they were awarded was for in 1984 for Star Trek? What's that? <laughs> the ship. The, it, no. That would be the obvious thing. What yeah. is it? Yes. 
They won a design patent for the eels on SETI Alpha 5. That the they hell created. Now. Yes. I did I was I had to look it up. Yes, those eels were considered unique enough that, that Star Trek was awarded a design patent for that. And design patents like that last for something like 15 years. So for 15 years, nobody could make anything that kind of sort of looked like that unless they paid Star Trek for those okay. air weeks. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's just a, wow. Yeah. I guess you never know the stuff that you get you get money for. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. Another thing, well, this is an obvious we've got to talk about. We were just talking about looking backwards. On the 4th of October in 1988, for the first time, wildly, widely, The Cage aired on television. Mm, right. This, of course, was the original script, the original pilot for the series. And anybody listening to the show, of course, knows the legend that Star Trek was unusual. It had two pilots. And... What I found really interesting, again, anybody who's read the making of Star Trek and so forth knows this stuff. But one of the things I thought was very interesting is Herb Solo and Gene Rottenberry pitched the idea to the executives at NBC. And what a lot of people sometimes don't know is Gene Rottenberry was this really big man, kind of a giant of man, they called him. But he wasn't very aggressive and the pitch wasn't going very well. And actually, initially, the executive says, thank you, but we pass. And so Gene Roddenberry got up and was leaving dejectedly. And then Herb Solo, for some reason, got pissed off and basically yelled at them and said, <laughs> look, you can find money to give us a 90 minute show and talk about money, profit. And he said, and look, if it's not all that good, you can package it as a TV movie and get your money back. So what's it going to hurt? And they said, all right, all right. So they decided, <laughs> they decided to give him a try, which I thought was funny. And then Oscar Katz, who was the president of Desilu, of course, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's studio at the time, he said that when he pitched Star Trek to the Desi, to the executives at, um, at Desilu, they weren't keen on it, but they had kind of, NBC had said, we want to look into it. So they, they pitched three different themes for the first show. One of them was basically something that took place mostly aboard a spaceship. The second was something that took place on a planet that was populated by humans. And the third pitch that Rottenberry talked about was a planet that had non-human looking aliens. Oscar Katz said Desilu went with the last one because he is convinced they felt it was going to be so expensive and it would be so badly pulled off that the show would be canceled or never greenlit. So he said they tried to sabotage them from the first day, which wow. I think is just amazing. And then yeah. the yeah, um, because again, this is the '60s. You know who who knew that you know they were talking about ray guns and so forth. Sure, yeah. And then the last thing, or one other thing, I thought was very interesting is Dream Roddenberry presented three final scripts to the network. One of them was, of course, what became the Cage. The other two was one called The Perfect World slash A Visit to Paradise. Matt Sweatman, that episode was Return of the Archons. <laughs> <laughs> and the other pitch, but to this day seems madness, the other pitch that Roddenberry officially presented for the first episode of Star Trek was Mud's Women. Yeah. And I mean, this was an era where, where TV Westerns were king. And yes. Mud's Women is very much in the TV Western vein for 1964. No, that's true. Mm. That's true. And um, the last thing I thought was very interesting, and I think this goes back to what we talk about when you go for something. Gene Roddenberry, they said, wrote the scripts for all of those episodes, including The Cage, without an eye to budget or special effects. 
So wow. when he wrote the laser cannon used in the cage, the people were like, Gene, we can't do this. He's like, whatever, you'll figure it out. And I, <laughs> that, that Gene wrote, he wrote and he got, he brought in scientific advisors and he said, I want to write the most realistic science fiction thing ever. And he did not care about budget. He did not care about what they could do. He wrote what he thought was a good script. And yeah. then they made it work. And that is awesome. That yeah, is awesome. That's the way to do it. Yeah. That's the way you do it. And with that, we're going to sign off on This Week in Trek. Because I think that's a good one to go out on. <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. So this week, we decided to talk a little about the Ferengi. Um, the Ferengi really <laughs> up to this point, before we mm-hmm. get into the latest episode of Lower Decks. So... I mean, I know, Veronica, you're a big, you're the big Ferengi fan on yes. the show. Yes. Uh, so you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess let's kind of start with how the Ferengi were first introduced, because I think beyond, uh, and I don't remember a lot of Next Generation, but beyond their first introduction, they weren't really used at all in Next Generation, were they? Yeah, yeah. The Ferengi came back yeah. from time to time. Mm-hmm, a few times. Ferengi. Yeah. Okay, I'm not remembering any other episodes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were introduced in the last outpost, and they really were built up prior to it as like the big bad of next gen. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I don't think that they really delivered on that. No. <laughs> when people got no. to see the see the actual Ferengi, and it was like, mm, oh, yeah. Work. No. Yeah. No. So Ver- they- Veronica, I have a question, Veronica. Since you don't remember Ferengi much of TNG, when did you? When and why did you fall in love with Ferengi in that case? DS9. Yeah, pork. Uh, yeah. Okay. That pork and dog. And Rom. Yeah. And Rom. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, DS9 is where they really flushed them out. I mean, yeah. they were oh, yeah. recurring antagonists in Next Gen and sort of silly okay, yeah. from, from the, from the yeah. jump. Yeah. Um, but I mean, really, DS9 is where they started building regular Ferengi character and building the Ferengi culture, which is what we've talked about before. It's something you do on Star Trek shows. You take an existing race and make one yep. of those people a member of the main cast and then develop that race. And I think they did that extremely successfully with the Ferengi. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah they, they were introduced, as, as you said, with the last outpost. Was the second one the, the battle? The battle? Yes. Battle, yeah. Called? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right. Veronica, you may remember that one. That's the one where the Ferengi whose son had been killed with, in a battle when the card was captain of the Stargazer years ago. Uh, went and, and, and got to call this out. Went and found the Stargazer, which for some reason Starfleet just left floating in space <laughs> and, and refurbished it and had some stupid mind control device with Mitch Picard. I think he was reliving the battle. I thought that was a cool episode. I, I like the battle. I, I, I like the, yeah. the whole thing with Picard sort of psychologically mm-hmm. being drawn back into his past mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. he'd be living it. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, the, the Ferengi were painted as a big bad to the point that that was the race that like Picard had like an emotional investment in like a, a backstory with, you right. know, like, they were going to be the new big bads and he's got that personal connection to it. Um, but I mean, I, I think from the, from the last outpost, the the minute they're on screen, that should be apparent that these are not going to work as a new, like antagonist mm-hmm. of the show. No, these are not the and new they- Klingons. And and they didn't have to be portrayed that way. Yeah. They made that last scene of that show, like where they're just, you know, monkeys. They're just jumping yeah. around and yeah. they're being silly. And the only cool thing about them is that they had those cool ass laser whips. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I loved that. But yeah. other than that, they were just, they were just comical and right. they undermine their own new Klingon before they really even get off the ground. Right. Now, I think there are some good Ferengi episodes in um, mm-hmm. Next Gen, and we have 
Um, the you know the one that takes place on Risa is pretty good, and the one yeah. where they kidnap Troy, Troy, and Riker. I like that one a lot. But Menage Troy, Menage yeah. Troy. That is the best, <laughs> most clever title ever, ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, they were not great. Um, let me get three comments really quickly. One goes right. back up to um, my rant earlier. Matt Sweatman says that Lower Decks has to be has to make it through at least six seasons to keep up with the movie poster spoofs that they've been doing. That's right. Which is a ah. fantastic point. Um, Wayne says, with the Ferengi, hey, we were looking for the big bad, but we got the Keystone Cops. <laughs> right. And Matt then chimes in, I really like the TNG episode in which the Ferengi kidnapped Deanna and Loxana. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, one. if they want to complete the movie uh, poster spoofs, they, I mean, we need 13 seasons yeah. of Lower Decks. That's what I was going to say. You know? Yeah. We don't need to stop with original series. Right. We need to totally. go right into all the movies. And if yes. they make another movie in the process, yeah. and then they need to spoof the the 2000s movie posters. Mm-hmm. So right. 15 seasons? No, that's 13. 13 seasons? Yeah. Oh, that's, thir- that's I, 13. I know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Plus was, Lucky 13. There you go. There was also the episode, which I know you remember, Veronica, where the um, the Federation was among the races bargaining for access to that wormhole that turned out not to be stable. Oh, yeah. 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 And that was too. Yeah, go ahead, Charles. I was going to say that that was a, a, a good thing that Voyager paid off. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because yeah. those guys get lost in the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. And Voyager came across those dudes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was played by different Lord. actors. Is that their names? Yeah. But yeah. I mean that, that was that's a cool yeah. thing to pick up on if you want to get a Fringy episode in and you use mm-hmm. what you've established about the Delta Quadrant. I and mean, we know that, and I thought that was a kind of a cool episode too, where they've set themselves up as gods on that before yes. Fringy are going to do that. Of course yes. they will. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah I, think, I think it's TNG because they didn't flesh them out. Well, some of my favorite episodes was the Fringy where they were more background. Like I like that episode. Um I enjoyed the episode, which is goof, completely goofy episode, but Rascals is the one yep. where the Fringy took over the ship mm-hmm. and Picard right. and Guinan and um Laren and Keiko O'Brien all became kids. So I know you probably yeah. remember that one, Veronica. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that Ferengi were in that at all. Yeah. <laughs> that was them. And the Ferengi were the ones responsible for Kamala in the episode The Perfect Mate coming oh. out of her stasis field. Remember the episode where yeah. the woman was uh she was an empath who bonded with someone and she would bond for life? That was mm-hmm. Jensen. Yeah. 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 That's That's it. A vague memory right. of that. Yeah. And what happened was she was kept in stasis because she was going to she was basically coming to the point where she was going to have to imprint on one person for the rest of her natural life. And so they kept her in stasis so she could basically be given to the ruler of another planet. And the Ferengi like clowns accidentally knocked her out of stasis. And that's the one. It's a really good episode. It's a problematic episode. I think it's 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 actually deep and has a lot of discussion about you know, women and agency and geisha and so forth. Right. But it's a really deep episode because she ends up falling in love with Picard. Uh, <laughs> it was thanks to the Ferengi. Yeah. That, I mean, you get the occasional like Ferengi scientist, but mm-hmm. on the whole, I'd say the Ferengi were pretty one note throughout. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gen. It's like, oh, yeah. they all wore the same outfit and yes. <laughs> had basically the same personality. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, good. I just want to get a, comment okay elaine says my only experience with the fringy is on prodigy lower decks and going to the to quarks at the star trek experience in vegas 
That's going to come Ooh, up in our discussion right. a little bit later. So yeah. thank you yeah. for bringing that up. And Matt says, I want 13 seasons too, but after the original cast movies, the posters become pretty generic. I want to interject super quick that the, yeah. the episode Rascals, the, mm-hmm. uh, the basic story was written by uh, Diana Drew Botsford, who was a guest at my convention three times, went back when it was called Timegate. Okay. Because nice. she wrote a lot of Stargate stuff too. Right. But awesome. she had written the, the, the story uh, that that episode was written from anyway okay. that's all and awesome. she's a awesome. fabulous lady i love her so much anyway yeah and then that and i think the frankie i mean of course they take over the enterprise flagship of the federation and, and rascals which is silly but it's an episode <laughs> yes. where, the, where the they've been turned into kids and the kids version of the characters are going to like save the ship so i think right. the frankie worked perfectly well as the antagonist for that right yeah. you know like right. if you're gonna have 14 year old picard Screaming for his daddy and then saving the Enterprise. The Fringy are a perfect antagonist for that. Episode. Right. It's just like having the Packleds be the big bad in the in the first couple of seasons of Lower Decks. It just right. fits the tone perfectly. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, once we get into Deep Space Nine, they started giving us a lot more flavors of Fringy and deeper mm-hmm. into Fringy culture. Yeah. Yeah. And Fringy family structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, great because that's something we don't get a lot of in, you know, a lot of the races that we see in, in Star Trek. So I, yeah. I like the way that they, you know, to the point where they had um, in one of our absolute favorite episodes from season four, which I'm blanking on. Little Green Men. Little Green Men. They oh, yeah. basically had the whole episode carried by this alien family. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something that you don't see in Star Trek. And the fact that these characters, not only main cast, but two guest characters are so well developed and established and fleshed out that they can carry a whole episode like that. Mm-hmm. It just says an awful lot about the strengths of DS9. Well, I mean, they got to the point that Nog could carry an episode. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah. I mean, it, you would never guess, like, start starting off on Deep Space Nine that sorry i'm having a little bit of audio problem the starting off on d space nine that like quark's like nephew <laughs> is going to be able to carry an, a dramatic yeah. episode of the show and not even a comedy episode like a real drama episode of the show right in just a few years and i think that's phenomenal yeah. i do too yeah and carry a yeah also yeah and carry an episode that takes place mostly in a 1960s nightclub yeah Right, run by a hologram. I mean, only right. DS9 could pull that off and make it poignant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but right. I think the thing that DS9 did really well with them is they, in a sense, they they sort of doubled down on the stuff that TNG established by having Quark and Rom and having the bar and having Quark's attitude toward his employees and toward making money and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then they introduce later on in the series, they introduce social change Hmm. in the Ferengi culture. And I think that is such a great thing. And it's so important to have seen it happen and to see that, that like paradigm shift in the Ferengi culture. And I think that that was so smart of them to have done that. Yeah, that's true. And apologies, Elaine, if we're spoiling stuff from you, if you haven't seen it in DS9. But I I agree with you, Alan, because I think of the episode that was actually good. I think it was called Bar Association. I'm not sure if that's the Mm -hmm. right one. But basically, this episode where Quark's employees went on strike, which is very relevant for us nowadays. Yeah, And in Ricky culture, there's like nothing worse than let your people go on strike. Right, right. 
You're like the lowest of the low. You've lost everything. You've lost all control. You've lost any respect if you let people go on strike in yeah. on Freganar. Mm-hmm. Amazing. But then yeah. you have a then you have a character like Moogie, who mm-hmm. is basically a suffragette who yeah. is the instigator of social change. She's the one who brings about women's rights. And all, I mean, it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things, you know, when you think about DS9 and the big story arcs, you think about the Dominion War and you think mm-hmm. about all that stuff and you think about the infiltration of the of the changelings and all that stuff. You don't really think about the 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 Ferengi as a major plot line. But when you really look at it, they did so much stuff with the Ferengi. That's really, really smart. Yeah. And and part of it is that they were producing so many episodes. Yeah, sure. Of for I mean, I mean, you're talking about 22 episodes a year of multiple shows. Right. They had time to develop these things. We were just talking a few weeks ago about how the new era of Star Trek. I mean, it's been six years now, and they haven't really produced. I mean, maybe one or two memorable new species. Right. You know, maybe Saru right. species, for yeah, instance. Yeah, that's the only one I was thinking maybe. of. Right. Right. But much less developing them in that amount of time. Exactly. Um, you know, because and, and part of that is because you you get so much so fewer episodes each season that you don't have as much time to throw things at the wall and see what sticks and then build upon it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one right. of the things I one of the things I liked about DS9 is I, I liked it when as you were saying, Alan, they they, they grew. I liked when the Ferengi were a little more serious. And one of the things I thought was very interesting was in, I think it was season one, when Cisco didn't like not, uh, his son hanging around with Nog because he thought he yeah. was a bad influence. Right. And you you cannot escape the optics that a black mm-hmm. actor is showing prejudice against somebody from another race. He's sure. literally saying, I don't want you hanging around those people, his type, right. mm-hmm. which is amazing. And then you find out that, well, they're still doing stuff. Like whatever, there was one, they did this really weird thing where they gave people like multicolored polka dots or some crap like that and they itched. But what was great in that episode, which started the thing with Nog, is he found out that Jake was teaching Nog to read. Yeah. Right. I'll never forget that episode where Cisco chases you, he follows him to the cargo bay. He's getting ready to go off on Jake and he sees that Jake is teaching Nog to read. And I love that episode because then he just kisses Jake and Jake's like, Dad. And then from then on, and then there's another episode that goes when they were having the wars. And there's, there was one episode I could get the name. It's the one where they nailed the Dominion Wars going on. And it's the one episode where Quark just goes off on Cisco and basically mm-hmm. tells him he's always been prejudiced against Ferengi. Yeah. And he even, he even at one point he goes, yeah, you think you're superior to us? At least we never had slavery. And it's just a really <laughs> good episode. But I want to go back to that first one that you were talking about. They have... Mm-hmm. The flip side of that, too, because mm-hmm. Cork di- or, and Rom actually at the beginning didn't want Nog hanging out with Jake because Jake was yes. a bad influence on Nog because he is teaching him things that aren't part of Ferengi society. It is not right. part of what the belief system that they hold. And, and so you get it from both sides. And I think that's what's mm-hmm. so interesting mm-hmm. about that whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I also really enjoyed, um, and I think it was in season one. It might have been season two when the female mm-hmm. Ferengi uh, was pretending to be a male and Quark's mm-hmm. bar, and and she had all these great ideas, and Quark was like, "Oh, this is great! Oh, this is awesome!" And then he finds out she's a female. And yeah. <laughs> right. And he still right. wants to. He still wants to help her, and it was sweet. <laughs> it was so sweet. <laughs> it was sweet Ferengi. Quark is always so sweet <laughs> to the ladies. <laughs> no. 
Yeah, but, for, for, those, for those old enough to remember, Cork always reminded me of Archie Bunker from All okay. in the Family, which yeah. was he learned some lessons, and you can tell he slowly grew, but yeah. he was still kind of he was still kind of founded in his upbringing. Yeah, um, whereas I suppose the Ram and Nog are definitely forward thinking. Cork definitely grew, but he's still you can tell he's from that generation. He I don't, yeah. he'll never be truly comfortable with women having authority and et cetera. Right, et cetera. or wearing clothes. <laughs> Or wearing clothes, precisely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Rom's interesting because he started off as generic Ferengi. Yeah. Yes. Before they found the Rom character. Mm-hmm. But then once they found Rom, I mean, even then he he had a lot of growth over the course of the series. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. He came. I mean, I feel like he became one of the key characters, especially in those last two seasons. He sort of became the heart of that show. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's I've said this before. So, you know, this is old news. But the thing that is the best that makes uh, DS9 the best Trek show is that it took its supporting cast and made them just as important and just as developed and just Mm -hmm. as fleshed out as their main cast. There was no throwaway character on that show. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think Charles makes a very good point because people probably tend to forget that the ROM of the first few episodes, his voice was even different. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was mean. He didn't want Jake to go to school. He tried to kill Cork. I mean, he was a completely different ROM. So the later one is a brother is a completely different ROM for that first few episodes. Right. And when you get to the point in four seasons later where he's standing up to his older brother and saying, yeah. my son is going to go to Starfleet and I am yes. proud of him and I do want him to do these things. That is mm-hmm. such a huge shift for that character. Mm-hmm. It really is. It yeah. Really and Nog's attitude that, I mean, Rom could have been in under different circumstances, the chief engineer of a starship. Yeah. He's a genius. Yeah. But because of his situation, he's not, Yeah, you know, he's, he ends up working at his brother's bar and fixing replicators. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I yeah. think Rom was amazing during that, that opening like five episodes of season six that we always talk about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He the was occupation so great. Arc. Yeah. Yes. He was fantastic in that. Oh man. So good. Yeah. 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 So good. And, and Charles, you mentioned the whole thing with Nog. I remember when Nog gives Cisco the reason why he wanted to join Starfleet and Cisco's like for Ringy and Starfleet. I don't get it. And Nog basically says kind of sort of, he's kind of embarrassed of his dad or he's sad about his dad's unfulfilled life. And he basically says, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to look up one day and realize I didn't fulfill whatever potential I had. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful thing. Then, of course, now his dad's Grand Nagus, although we're going to have to talk about his betrayal. And his- right. They ended his arc in the Dogs of War with him becoming Grand Nagus. And that's yeah. a good yes. point to end off on. But before we mm-hmm. segue into Lower Decks, just real quick, what did everybody think when, when Rom became Grand Nagus? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Loved it. I, I liked it. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, I I did not like it. I, 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 <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Twenty four years. Why? I thought it was because I don't like to have the main character of one of the show of the show of, of a main character on the show to become the leader of. I don't need uh, like Garrick becoming leader yeah. of the Cardassians or you know, and then like Martok <laughs> became leader of the Klingons and Rom's going to be leader of the. It just seems silly to me. And I I I, I have for twenty four years I felt like. Rom would get swindled out of the Fringy Alliance in like a week, <laughs> you know. Then but you, and I, you and I are going to differ on the portrayal today, man. I think. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to differ with myself in a, in a few minutes, but <laughs> let's, let's, let's take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. If you're on the listening on the audio podcast, I love it. 
but when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. So stay right there. Ask yourself, is the Flopcast the right podcast for you? Do you have trouble picking a favorite Weird Al song, Karate Kid sequel, or Justice League Detroit member? Are you obsessed with Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch, Vicky the Captain's daughter from the Love Boat, or Vicky the Robot from Small Wonder? Do you think Cindy Lauper's We Are the World solo is the most important event in history? You have half an hour a week for something completely stupid. Then the Flopcast might be the right podcast for you. We're on the ESO Network and at Flopcast.net. Spoilers. 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 I'm intrigued by the number of alert sirens you can do. <laughs> right. Right. It's different yeah. every time. Most that, of them that, on the spot, too. That's right. Yeah. There's no preparation, I promise. No. <laughs> so, yeah, tonight we're talking about uh, Star Trek Lower Deck, Season 4, Episode 6, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. Um, now, first off, has anybody seen Garth Ferengi's Dark Place? No. I have not. It's a cult BBC comedy from like 2003, mm-hmm. 2004. Oh, no, I have not. And that's what the title is based on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's okay. it's available on streaming now. It actually just became available like in the last six months or so. But anyways, <laughs> let's move on. Because what I was... So, Matt, we have an answer to your question. <laughs> I did. Chuck did. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yes. Chuck knew about a obscure BBC it. show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I recognize it, but I've not ever seen the show, so I don't yeah, have any. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a cult. It has a cult following amongst yeah. people who like comedy. But... Yeah, I mean, like getting back to to Rom real quick. Like, I I have not liked the idea of Rom becoming Grand Negus for twenty four years, and wow. I changed my mind today. That's so fantastic! <laughs> Isn't that amazing for a, the comedic cartoon? Right, and and part of that is because they really sold it. Yeah, and yes. I mean, I I think of all the, Lower Decks has done several of these before where they bring back a legacy character, mm-hmm. and I think Rom and Lita is the most satisfying that I've been by yeah. a returning legacy character. I was like so Riker, excited to see them. Yeah, like Riker was fun, and it was nice to see him as captain. But he was goofy Riker, making right. jokes, and he wasn't really Riker from the show. Yeah, right. And I, I felt like Tom Paris was just wasted. I enjoyed yeah Quark and Kira. I thought that was really good. But this yeah. one, it really like it, we peek back in at Rom and Lita twenty four years later, and I mean for the first, I mean for the first time, I can see Rom as Grand Negus, and it works. Yeah, because Rom and Lita are just this great like power couple mm-hmm. like swindling people and i had a moment where when he was goofing with the baseball and was like oh i like baseball and mm-hmm. she was like my husband's kind of dumb and i was like oh no they don't get wrong <laughs> but i should have had more faith in lord that right because <laughs> within like a minute they flipped it and i was like oh i love this <laughs> and i'm gonna say i'm gonna pick up on that point and say that i, I should also have more faith in this show because every time I think that they have a situation that's too silly and I'm not talking about this one, even it's a different thing in this episode. They have something that's too silly. They've gone too far with it. And it's just like, okay, now you're just, you know, being funny just to be funny. They always land it with a really (laughs) good character moment that makes everything tie together. And they did it again a couple of times tonight. Well, give us an example. Well, the whole thing with, um, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Mariner, Tendane Rutherford. Those are your options. 
Well, it was one of those things. And because I was thinking about this during the show. And, and I know it had something to do with Tendi and Rutherford and the the over the the you know the scene when they're in the in Quark's you know bar. Yeah. And but now I don't anyway, never mind. Let's move on. Okay. And there's yeah. Keith gone again. Well, I, I loved that. I mean, they really seem to be delving into Mariner this season mm-hmm. about yeah. why she is the way she is. And I thought it was really smart. They're on Ferenginar and they bring back her Ferengi friend from like episode two. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really delving in, though, and in like into why Mariner is the way she is. Yeah. And, you know, she's still self- everything is going really well for her and she's still trying to self-sabotage. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, why are you like this? And she's like, I don't know. And we don't have that answer yet, but I feel no. like they're. They're, they're working towards they're moving having that, that answer this season, I think. I really liked that they ended the episode with not coming to that conclusion. Right. Yeah. You know, they like they just kind of leave you hanging like it's an ongoing process for her. And yeah. I think that's just good stuff. Yes. Good writing. Absolutely. Yeah. Keith, what did you think tonight? I thought it was good. It wasn't one of my faves. Um, okay. I didn't I didn't dislike it. Um, but I, as you said, at first, when I saw Rom's treatment, I was really upset because I thought they were making him literally just a 100% clown. And that's right. not the Rom I remembered. Yeah. And then at the end, when he did that thing, you thought, oh, Rom is playing a role. He's playing. <laughs> right. You know, because it just didn't make any sense. And as you said, Alan, I couldn't I, I should have had more faith because there's no way the people who basically kept the flame of Star Trek as well as Laura Dex had would completely miss the mark on Rom as much yeah. as I thought they were missing the mark on Rom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had this you don't even have to get all the way to the end of the episode though, because there's that moment where he and Lita are like, mm-hmm. like, we got them. <laughs> you know that they're playing them. Because he's like doop 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 and they're like, okay, we'll reopen the thing. And they're like, great, let's talk about paragraph three, subsection four. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> and tying in with that the thing that i loved a whole lot in this episode was you know we talked about how uh how much their growth there has been in mariner from the very beginning up through now but i think that there has been and we talked about this once before too there has been that with the captain also mm-hmm. because at yeah. the beginning i think that she was sort of like the you know the the second rate captain she was yeah. you know because of the ship that she's on right. but we have seen her and particularly this season be incredibly competent mm-hmm. and be the one who solves situations and is on top of stuff. And we got that again this week where yeah. she yeah. tries to tell her superior officer, dude, you're doing this the wrong way. They are setting you up. They're doing it for a reason. And then she comes in at the end and she's like, boom, I got you. And they're like, that's what we wanted. Now we know that there are people <laughs> in Starfleet who honor our culture and understand us. We'll sign whatever you put in front of us. Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. And they're like, we want to join Starfleet. I joined the Federation, but you know, the, the Fringy Gang can't sign with a bunch of suckers and rubes, yeah. you know? So they, they, they're, they're yeah. testing to make sure. Yes. But I mean, that's the same thing I was talking about last week that I love that. I love when Freeman is presented as competent because right. Even though she's a, she's on the comedy show and she's captain of a lower tier ship. She's, she's a captain in Starfleet. Yeah. She should right. be competent. So I, that's something I talked about on the show before over the years mm-hmm. is I hate when they project portray her as being incompetent. I loved her in this episode. Like she was, on yeah. top of things, she was killing it. Yeah, um, and I loved that they brought back the admiral. He's also from season one. There, this episode brought back two like characters who appeared in season one. And I thought that was pretty fitting. Right, agreed. Yeah, but I tell you, that admiral needs to go talk to Jellico. You need to be an expert. <laughs> you need to be an expert on the people you're negotiating with because he was completely out of his league with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
a, a point that it kind of ties into the first half of our discussion, and that is that this move to join the Federation has to tie in, because we're talking about Rom here, this has to tie in to Nog and him joining Starfleet. I mean, it has a lot to do with the fact that he spent seven years on a space station that was operated by the Federation, <laughs> and he got to know people, and he got to understand what the Federation is and what the Federation mm -hmm. does. But his son joining Starfleet has to be a catalyst mm. to move that needle for Rom the way that it did. And I wish that they had referenced that Yeah, in the episode. I wish they had said, you know, at least mention Nog's name. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Something like my well, you know, my son is the second officer on the USS such and such. Yes. And we got like, ooh, something about no. Yes. You know, well, yes, what, exactly. what, what, what do we think about Fringy making a move to join the Federation? I think it's going to be awesome. Okay. I'm excited. I, I agree. And I think it makes sense. I think that um, doing a real stretch and a connection here. But one of the things the series Enterprise talked about in the whole uh, stupid thing with the Temporal Cold War with the Sphere Builders was one of the things about the sphere builders was looking to the Charles Lovinist. <laughs> Describing it like I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, I, didn't, I didn't care for the Temple Cold War, but what was very interesting about that is one of the things was the sphere builders from the future were defeated by an alliance of God knows how many races. And so you can think of a power like that, seeing the Ferengi join and other races join, be concerned about that. So I think that for the Ferengi, it's in the long run, a good move. And for the Federation in the long run, it's a good move. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what Star Trek is all about. And you especially have these disparate races that'll bring all kinds of different abilities to the Federation that not everybody else has. I mean, Ferengi yeah. to Vulcan to Tellarites to Andorians right there, you got so many different personality types just from those few races. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't remember if it was outright stated, but it was certainly heavily implied in Discovery that by yeah. the 32nd century, That's what I was gonna the say. Ferengi are part of the Federation. At yes. some point, the Ferengi right. became yeah. part of the Federation, and I'm really glad yes. that we got to see the start of that, and I'm really glad that it's um, Rom yeah, that's it, it makes sense. pushing that forward. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm, with all the stuff there, we knew they were pushing forward anyway. It, it was something that was going to happen regardless of if it was Rom doing it, but I'm really mm -hmm. glad that it is Mm -hmm. well, this episode was a perfect continuation of the way the Fringy were portrayed on DS9. Uh, from the planet to, I mean, we got to see more of the planet. Yeah. But also to think little things like that, you get those little gun runners in the beginning who are having to get rid of their guns because, you know, <laughs> Grand Negus Rom has determined that hospitality and things are, and progressiveness are more profitable in the long run. Yes. But we yeah. see that the Fringy are still the Fringy. They're still retaining yes. who they are while mm -hmm. they're still, while they're progressing women wear clothes and they're getting away from gun running and things, but they're still, the, they're still the Fringy. And I, I gotta say, I love the Dominion War Lost Prophets monument. Like <laughs> yes, that, that monument to the prophets <laughs> lost in the Dominion War was hilarious. Yes, that was amazing. But I just want to say so much about what we saw on the planet was so good. And mm -hmm. my favorite, and I know you'll be surprised by this because it's my profession, but my favorite was the library. The Ferenginar, <laughs> what was it? The Ferenginar uh, Historic 
library and and it's got the big neon flashing signs books 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 and you go in <laughs> there's Gambling. like no books right. and, it's, and it's just like dabo tables and stuff and it's, yeah it cracked me up yeah i i I really want one of those hats. Some of those. Yes. Like, I those really hope they're geek. making those. I really hats. hope they're making those. Yes. Someone make those. Yes. Or we'll make our own. Yes. Okay. Let me, let me catch up on comments. Elaine says, I love the title. It's based on one of the weirdest British TV shows I've ever seen. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yes. I have got to watch that show at some point. It is weird. Matt says, overall, Starfleet captains are much more competent than Commodores and Admirals. True. And Matt also says, I think the joke is that, yes, the Ferengi are much more capitalist than the Federation, but they are not very different than the commercialization of our society. That's true. Yeah. Did you notice the whole time they're satirizing television, that (laughs) painting behind Boimler was the Paramount logo, the mountain and the stars. (laughs) No, I didn't. That watch it again. That, that there's a round painting behind Boimler yes, the whole time. I remember the seeing that. mountain and the stars. Oh That's hilarious. <laughs> Genius. Okay, I, I just want to. I just want to say that one of my favorite things about this episode was that somebody sat down and watched Ferengi television. <laughs> yes, I, because you know I every one of these it. cultures has to have recreational entertainment like right. you know there's got to be vulcan soap operas you know and i'm just fascinated by this and i wish we could see more of this kind of thing mm-hmm. i would love to see paramount plus if they don't destroy every series that they have going on to actually develop something that's set you know let's do a vulcan you know television show yeah yeah a, a but, television show that vulcans would watch you know that'd be a great if they want to do a, like an animated homage to the animated series they should do something like that like do mm-hmm. like bringy television you know right and um I'm, you know one of the things i've always wondered about is like how different cultures like you know we have klingon opera we've known about that but what else do we have that other cultures have developed like i want to know what happens on beta on, on beta z for live theater because right if you are an audience watching a play you know what's going to happen because you can tell what's in the actor's minds. But at the same time, you could influence what happens by projecting something into one of the actor's minds. And it would be a total twist oh on what gosh. we think about as far as theater goes. And I want, oh, my mind is just like racing with all Man, the about improv. Yeah, I would watch that. Right. That would be, that would be like the ultimate improv. Like you don't even know what you're going to say next. Yes, exactly. Oh my God. I would love yeah, it so I- much. I thought um, I thought the point with television thing was good because I'm the same way. You want you want to really know what a, what a civilization how they relax. Um, one thing back to Deep Space Nine they talked about was, for example, so much Cardassian literature and stuff yeah. is literally about the, how the state was always right. And I remember there was an episode <laughs> where Bashir was reading a book and he's like, "Dude, this whole book is about how the how the the state is right." And Garrick tells him, "Well, that's the whole point." Yeah, um, and so I love that, and I love that. That's one of the book. distinguished mm-hmm. Cardassian literary genres. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I loved it when Boyman was sitting there, and he he goes, "I love how they put the the cola, the the yeah. slug cola, in the actual murder yes. episode. It was just really good product placement. Yeah, that whole thing. That, that have, whole thing was, huh? I was gonna say, if any culture was gonna have commercials and television like ours, it would be the Ferengi. Of course. Yes. Yeah. But that whole thing was so Futurama to me. And that's one of the <laughs> things that I loved about it. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. other than it's something that we don't normally see on Star Trek, which sure. I just thought was fantastic. Um, Elaine <clears throat> loved that it was Boimler that that got to yes. do that. And she yeah. also says Vogon poetry. Sorry, wrong <laughs> world, but wrong franchise also. Um, <laughs> oh, there was another point I was going to make about that, but it's neither here. Well, now I... I didn't love the Tindy Rutherford story. I didn't love it. That's what I was about to talk about. Because I was wondering, because I've seen different interpretations of Tindy and Rutherford. So where Mm -hmm. do you think, what do you, how, how, how do you see their relationship and where do you think it's going to go on the show? To anybody. I think that them falling in love is natural. It makes sense. I personally didn't like the over the top stuff in that Ferengi place today. (laughs) That to me, the jokes were a little bit too on the other side of this is what the Ferengi are like. So yeah. it was a little too cliched for me, but I think that I think that them falling for each other is natural given how their relationship has progressed. So okay. in response to the overness of all of that, I think that mm-hmm. was largely influenced by the hospitality thing that Ram is pushing, where they're trying to do all this hospitality stuff, but they're still the Ferengi. Um, so they have to mm-hmm. do something. It's got to be extra. It's got to be extra. Yeah. And to Elaine's point earlier in the first part of our episode, um, that whole thing was designed around the Las Vegas Star Trek experience. Right. uh, With the same Quark's logo and everything. Yeah. And I, man, I just thought that was so smart. (laughs) Yeah. Federation. And I've seen some people say that, you know, that they still see um, Tending Rutherford as as progressing towards romantic, but mm-hmm. like I, I saw a comment today that was like, well, no wonder they can't figure out their relationship because neither of them know what a relationship is. This mm-hmm. is apparently they're trying to have a relationship, but yeah. the way I interpreted it and I'm not, this isn't a prediction or anything. Just the way I've been viewing them is that they're just very close friends. They love each other, but they have no interest in consummating that or taking it further than that, that they just love to be around each other. And they, and I, I, I thought it was kind of a clever subversion of the, will they, won't they, <laughs> yes. which they kind of parodied in this episode with uh, that Fringy TV show where ever all the coworkers are secretly in love with each other. Like right. I, how nice would it be if they just don't, that they just love being friends and mm-hmm. that's enough for them, which maybe they'll go that way. Maybe they won't, but that's how I've been viewing them. With them. I, yeah. mean, I, I hope they, they, I hope that is to, what they do with them. Yeah. I don't think they yeah. need the, the to kiss and no. consummate the relationship by the end. I think that they can just love each other and be best friends. And yeah, I'm I think they're a little uncomfortable way. with, with the, with the, Oh, Hey, you're kind of attractive stuff. Um, mm. Because right. they don't really see each other that way, which is, well, I think is, Rutherford at least sees Tindy as attractive. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they do see each other as attractive, but it's not the thing. I think, I think they would there. rather solve math problems together and go work in the turbo sh- turbo lift, you yes. know, or in the Jeffrey's tube, <laughs> you know? Yeah. All of that final scene in the Jeffrey's tube was a little op- interesting. <laughs> <looking>. <laughs> body I love that. They're like, ah, this is better. <laughs> right. yeah. I love that they're just a pair of weirdos. Yeah. I'd, I'd be fine if they never, well, they won't they them. They just yeah. stay best friends that love solving math together and things yes same here i'm fine either yeah. way what i don't want them to do is keep playing with it you know at some point in time that will they won't they gets old oh yeah, I hate that. yeah if they just become friends i'm fine if they actually f- develop a relationship i'm fine because mm-hmm. i think both will work yeah i definitely don't want ross and rachel in space though <laughs> <laughs> no no uh, lean says i thought it was smart on tendy's part to invent the divorce to get out of getting in trouble with parth yes, yes. Absolutely. Well, yeah. 
Absolutely, because they're about to be arrested. You know, it did it did annoy me that they described the TOS uniforms as being velour. Yeah, they were made of out in the show because on the animated series they established that those uniforms are made out of this algae material. Yeah, like they're futuristic uniforms. They're made out of velour in the real world. Right. But I would hate to think that on in the twenty third century they had flammable velour uniforms. <laughs> that that was a joke that I didn't really care for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, but on the whole, I mean, I think I love this episode. This may be my favorite episode of the season so far, which I loved last week. So, I mean, it's saying something, but it, it's, it's, I mean, saying something that they could take something that I've not liked about Star Trek, in this case, Rom becoming Grand Negus, since I was a junior in high school. And wow. this comedy show Dude. can change my mind about it. That's because that's fantastic. I, 24 years later, I'm like, oh, that does work. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, and I'm always amazed by in 22 minutes how much story they tell. And yeah, this yeah, is this yeah. is true. And I like the fact that of all the legacy characters they brought back, the most successful ones that they've done in both cases have been DS9 characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just furthering that DS9 legacy. <laughs> That's yep. right. So they should keep doing it. <laughs> because yes. I want to yes. correct. Or yes. just make a DS9 spinoff. Yes. Yeah. I would watch that too. Yeah. I would yeah. watch it. And uh, now we did get a little hint at the beginning that that's this right. Ringy guy knew something about this attack that was going to happen. Yeah. Yes. So, He's like, there's lots of profit in it, profit in it for me. Yeah. So, and this guy was in cahoots, I guess, with mysterious baddies. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So it's something that he has. I mean, I'm not sure how he thinks he's going to profit from that, but how did he make contact with them? Yeah. How did he know about this? I, yeah. yeah it's, it raises a lot of questions. All right. Well, whatever the mystery is, they better wrap it up in a season. Okay. Well, does anybody have any final thoughts about this episode? Because I have one more thing. Okay. One last comment before you say that. Um, Matt says there is no more consistency, consistently solid Trek series right now than Lower Decks. Yeah. It's, I mean, every every episode. Yeah. Every episode is just killer. Totally. All right. What's your final thought, man? Because we forgot to talk about the final episode of Very Short Treks. That's what I was going to say, too. Yes. <laughs> I was just and, about to say that, too. So, yeah. yeah. And I thought maybe we weren't going to when we transitioned into this episode without no, having just, done it at I, the first half. But no, I we got to do it. About it. Yeah. So, I mean, this was potentially the final Very Short Treks. <laughs> please. Um, please. <laughs> Please. Keith gave me a hard time for calling it on our Facebook group the very anticipated <laughs> final episode. Of very yeah, I laughed, dude, I laughed so hard when you when you posted that. I just laughed out loud. It was great. <laughs> Please, oh, dear man. God. Right. Be over. Well, what do we think? What do we think? I I thought it was bland and literally fine, and I honestly having trouble remembering what I saw already. Okay. Um, I thought it was just okay. I just I think at the end of the day, the only one that was genuinely to me genuinely funny that elicited uh, chuckles was the one about the multiple nested holograms from last mm-hmm. week. Um, Aaron uh, the other Star Trek prodigy. Yeah, the others I found somewhere between bad, offensive, and and, and frankly revolting. Right. And whoever <laughs> ultimately is responsible for this, I just say, don't do this again. You know, like they right, say, right. don't quit your day job. I just don't think they were good. I think they never really captured the true essence of Star Trek, in right. my yeah. opinion. In right. my opinion. I, I think if you're going to do a, a, a project like this that's supposed to honor the anniversary of <clears throat> a, a legacy show, you yeah. don't need to step out of your own canon and do a meta 
thing right. like they did this week where right. one set of characters is like, hey, if it weren't for your set of characters, we wouldn't be doing this and blah, blah. And yeah, yeah. And when they it started was on that and started arguing, I was like, oh, no, you just did this in the first episode. Why are you doing this again? Don't yeah. do this yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not a fan. Yeah, Not no, I, I I feel like there are wasted opportunities. I yeah. feel like if, yeah. if you had two to three minutes to tell a Star Trek story, and this is the Star Trek story you come up with. Plus, I was a little annoyed that, I mean, it's a musical-themed episode called Walk, Don't Run, which was mm -hmm. a great venture song in, mm -hmm. the, in the early mid-60s, which, yeah. I mean, I would much rather listen to the ventures Walk, Don't Run than the whatever they were doing this time. I, I enjoyed the little trippiness okay. of it. Okay, that's good. That's but um, overall, it was it wasn't it was one of the better ones. Okay, I, okay, I did like last week better, but I think this yeah. this came in mm -hmm. second. Okay, going oh. back to not understanding, not understanding very canon what they're presenting. I am no one's prude. I have no problem with sex jokes, but mm -hmm. the whole thing with Scotty saying, "Let me drop my pants and show you what I got" and stuff like that. Yeah, it just. Doesn't that make just sense crude in and any context. Stupid. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, Scotty was. Just make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't look to see who was playing Scotty, but no, uh, I didn't either. Yeah. I mean, he was out of character, and the, I mean, the whole. Th I don't know. I mean, well, one thing I like well, about Lower Decks is that they take the Star Trek universe very seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like they they try to be true to the can. They they have fun with it. They make jokes about it. They're irreverent about it often. But they don't they don't break Star Trek, you know what I mean? Right. Um, right. And, and I think that's it's a formula that really works for me is having fun with it and being satirical about it and being funny about it, but taking the universe itself seriously. Um, it's just none of the the very short tricks have worked for me. They work for some people, and that's fine. But yeah. for yeah. me, well, it's been a misfire. Same here. Speaking of some people, uh, Dan joined the show kind of late on, but he chimes in by saying, Very Short Treks has definitely been my favorite modern Trek series, and the finale was a much better musical episode than Subspace Rhapsody, in my opinion. It was brilliant. There you go. Yeah. Wow. The other side wow. of the coin. Yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go. There you go. Something for everyone. I disagree. Yeah, that's right. But yes, you know, I mean, there's, that's one good thing about having a lot of Star Trek productions going on mm -hmm. is that if you don't like Picard, you could watch Strange New Worlds. If you don't like Strange New Worlds, you can watch Lower Decks. You know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Right. Um, so I hope that they're able to continue producing a variety of Star Trek programming, and it doesn't go to one Star Trek series with ten episodes a year um, mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. All right. Well. Alan, where can people find more of you? Cosmiccreative.com. K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. Okay. That's it. And how about you, Keith? <laughs> you can find me on X and in Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And one last thing, I want to do a quick shout out to Max Grodinchek and Chase Masterson, who were back as the voices of their characters. Yay! Yes. And they were great. Yes. Yes. They are fantastic. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. Yep. And if you're in the Atlanta area on October 14th, come out to the Center for Puppetry Arts, the Puck and Puppet Show, because we're going to be performing main stage at the Center for Puppetry Arts for the first time. And you can come have a great time with some great puppeteers uh, doing some really interesting, weird things. And uh, you can vote for us. And it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. And then check out Felt Nerdy on YouTube, because we, uh, we've we been doing some YouTube stuff, and we're going to be doing some more YouTube stuff. Yes. Where else people find us? Monkeying around a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? Yes. Hold on. I have notes again. Okay. You're almost prepared. You're yes. getting closer to being prepared. Okay. 
I'm going to pack my schedule so full that I do everything and enjoy nothing. <laughs> Sounds like our dragon powder. <laughs> exactly right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, join us Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. We go live. And if you don't catch us live, you can watch the replay on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the Earth Station Trek YouTube channel. That helps us out. But also you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and listen to the audio podcast. That's right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching and for chiming in. We enjoyed the discussion. Take care, everybody. See you next Thursday. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.